0: Good morning everyone. At the moment we're doing a series, it's called Reclaiming the Heart. And the reason we're doing this is because there are some things that we can do without thinking, right? I can brush my teeth without thinking and that's a good thing, my dentist says so. I can wash myself and dry myself without thinking and whoever's sitting next to me probably says that's a good thing as well. Many of you could probably, if you've got a cat or a dog, you can just feed the cat or the dog without thinking, right? The dog says that's a good thing. You may go out for a walk, an exercise. You may be doing other things while you're doing that, listening to something, a podcast. or You do it without thinking, and your body says that's a good thing. right? So there are a whole lot of things we do without thinking, but there are a whole lot of things that we should give thought to, that we should be aware of the heart behind them. It may be as simple as a giving of a gift. We don't want to give gifts thoughtlessly, and give gifts out of a sense of duty, or it's just what I do. <laughs> Not so good for the giver, but the person who receives it can actually feel it, and it, it's just not quite right. You understand what I mean, don't you? Uh, we shouldn't say the words, I love you, without thought. You know, we can just say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it becomes something trite. When you tell your kids you love them, it should come from the heart, right? We've been doing this series over the last three weeks about the things that we do in church and how they shouldn't be unthinking because we can get into a routine of being here. We come, we sing three songs, get up to do the news, we do another song in the middle if there's time, we'll do open mic. We get into a routine or a liturgy of church, but we never want it to become an unthinking thing that we do. We want to remain involved in the process, our hearts to be involved in the process, our minds to be engaged in what's going on. We want to think about these things. And so this is something we've been doing for three weeks and we've got two weeks to do. So we've looked at worship, reclaiming the heart of worship, uh, reclaiming the heart of of actually hearing and proclaiming God's word, uh, reclaiming the heart of prayer. And the last two that we'll do are reclaiming giving. Reclaiming the giving of our money because every Sunday we take up an offering, and you may wonder, why do we even bother doing that? Do it electronically, you know. <laughs> and why do we even bother doing it electronically, some of you may ask. But reclaiming the, the giving of our, our money, but then next week we're also looking at the giving of our time, this aspect of serving, because we don't want these kind of things to be just done without any thought. So in terms of giving, there are so many passages in the Bible. I've just chosen two out of the New Testament. Thanks, Beth.
1: First passage today is Luke 11, verses 37 to 42. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then... You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter, without leaving the former undone. And the second passage comes from Luke 21, 1-4. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave in all she had to live on.
0: Thanks, Beth. The concept of giving an offering has always been part of an expression of a relationship with God. We can go to the very beginning of our Bible and we will read in chapter 4 of Genesis that Cain and Abel both brought an offering to the Lord. We don't really know what instructions were around that, but we do know that it was something that they did. They wanted to do or they were asked to do. And now it's not that God needs anything from an offering. You understand that, don't you? God's not going, oh, I'm really hungry. I feel like some lamb. Uh, Can we... Can we cook up a lamb for me? Would that be okay? Or, uh, look, I'm needing some extensions done to my temple. Can we just take up an offering? The sense of giving to God is there through Scripture, but never that God needs anything from us. You understand that? It's an expression. It's an expression of love. And it's been done throughout all of Scripture. You get into the law and then the offerings, the, the giving to God takes form and shape. We're told what should be given, when it should be given, exact ways in which it should be given. But then we also understand that our giving is not just to God, but to, can you guess, the poor. Giving to the poor as well. And so there's these instructions that not only we give to God, but that God's people are to give to the poor and the vulnerable. The poor and the vulnerable in those days were those without family and those without land. Those without land would include now anybody under 45 in Sydney. You understand that. But, but there's this sense of which if you did not have family or you did not have land, you had no security. So those people, the, the widow, the orphan and the refugee, were to be the recipients of, of gifts as well, of offerings. And so there's, there's this teaching through Scripture all the way through the Old Testament and then you get to the New Testament. And beside the kingdom of God, Jesus talks more about money and giving than he does about any other topic through the Gospels. And in these stories and in these instructions about giving, consistently the point is made that it's not just the how and the when and the what to give, but the why. The heart matters. In fact, in many parts of Scripture, the heart behind the gift is more important than the gift itself. I desire obedience over sacrifice, the Lord says to Saul. The Lord through Malachi says, you know what, if you're going to give me your second best, shut the doors, I don't want any of it at all. Because if it doesn't come from the heart, the gift itself means very little. And we know that, don't we? If we receive a gift from someone that is given to us out of duty, hmm. if it's given out of a sense of wanting to manipulate us, (laughs) if it's given out of a sense of resentment, here, have it, you throw it back at them, right? We understand that the why matters. Because a gift given without the why, without the heart behind it, does not feel like a gift at all. What I want to do this morning is give you four encouragements. That's how I'm going to put them. They're four encouragements. And I hope that they are. I really do. And I'm going to share some stories, not only out of scripture, but what I did a few weeks ago was I sent off an email to people in the life of our church who I suspected, because I don't really know, but I suspected have a passion for giving and a real love for actually giving to the poor and to God. And I ask them some questions around why they give. What is the heart behind they give? So around about two-thirds of my sermon content is actually around the stories from people in the church. These are not rich people in our church. These are ordinary people like you and I. They have ordinary jobs. Some of them are retirees. Some of them are students. Some of them have multiple children. You wonder how they can afford to give it all. But these are just ordinary stories from ordinary people in the life of our church. And I want to share them as we go along in these encouragements. So these are my four encouragements. The first one is this. Give with a heart of love and compassion. What does Jesus say is the greatest commandment? Not a hard question, is it? Mumble, mumble, mumble. Come on. (laughs) Say it with conviction, someone. To what? To love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With everything that you have. And the second is... To love your neighbour. Oh, you know that one. Yeah, okay. To love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says this is what the law is summed up in. To love God and to love others. And so my first encouragement is this, that when we give, would you give with a, with a heart of love and compassion? Not with an adherence to a set of rules, but with a heart that actually captures the very essence of all of the law. To love God and to love our neighbour. As I said, God needs nothing. When we give to him, it is an expression of love. Uh, The passage, the first passage uh, that Beth read, uh, I just love that. You have this sense. People wondered why I brought mint. What Jesus is saying is to the Pharisees, you are so good at tithing, you are so good at adhering to the laws about an offering and about giving. You even go to the point, and this is my mint plant. It's a fresh one for spring. It's looking pretty good, isn't it? So to tithe my mint... Now, look, they did. They tithe them in. They took, they took the law so seriously, they would tithe. So if they took a little harvest of mint, and, and I won't pluck it because it looks so good, and I've got three services to get through. <laughs> but if they plucked, let's say, ten leaves off their mint to use, then they would also give one of those into the offering. Now, I don't know how Ian Bourne, our treasurer, would respond to that if in the offering this morning there was a mint. Don't do it, OK. <laughs> But I also have a lemon tree. Well, it's actually not my lemon tree, but it's my neighbour's lemon tree, and it hangs over my fence. So it's mine. I do ask. I actually go on his side of the fence to climb it. So there we go, and I pick it for them as well. But I picked 10 lemons the other day, so here's my offering for today. So there's this sense in which Jesus' word to the Pharisees is, you've got the law thing right, but you've forgotten the essence behind it, and that is to love God and love others to give out of a sense of love towards God and to give towards the poor and the vulnerable out of a sense. Because who is our neighbour? Where do you draw the limits? You don't. We give out of a heart of love and compassion. And Jesus is... Did you hear the tone in which he, he said these things? Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you. Because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Practice the latter without leaving the former undone. This is my first encouragement. When we give, would you give with a heart of love and compassion? And when we do that, we give freely. We give with no thought of getting something back in return when we give with love. I think the reality is a lot of people, and perhaps even we at times have done this, we've given in order to get something in return. You understand what I mean by that? We give something in order to receive. I give to you, but in return I expect something from you. It's not really a gift, is it? It's like a transaction. It's like going shopping. We hand over money, we get something in return. Um, But we can do the same in other ways, and we think it's a a gift. Uh, We may hand over a, a gift Which we think is a gift, but it's to gain favour or to gain wealth or to gain influence, to gain reputation. There's this sense, you know, and we read in scripture where Jesus says, Don't show off with your offering. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a church, I have, where the offering is done very, very publicly. Uh, You take the money out of your pocket and you walk down the aisle showing how much you've got. You Drop them in, one by one. And there's this sense of, wasn't in Australia, uh, uh, but there is this sense of show, and the wealthier you are, the greater honour is given to you for being a generous giver to the church. But you can see the motives in that can get a little mixed along the way. see, a true gift is relational. A true gift is relational, not transactional. Kathy and I experienced this way back. It was our first year of college, and uh, we got married in the November. We gave up our jobs in the February. It was on Valentine's Day. It's romantic, isn't it? gave up our jobs simultaneously on Valentine's Day, uh, and we started at college at Moreland College the week after. So, three months into our marriage, had no income. The church were very kind. We were at Hornsby Baptist. They were beautiful people. Uh, they they paid us $75 each a week, and $110 went in rent, and uh, so we were living on 40 bucks a week for our first three years of college beautiful, loved it, no, can't remember, it doesn't matter, whatever, first two or three years of college, and so wow, I remember this happened one Sunday morning, it was after church at morning tea, feel free to, you know, replicate this to our students at any stage, but somebody came up to us with $600 in cash, All right, that's 15 weeks pay for us after rent, like, you figure that out in your own head, what kind of dollars that means to you, but for college students, that was like a fortune, 600 bucks. and so they gave us $600, we didn't even know them that well, they weren't friends, they weren't people who'd known us for a long time, but they gave us this envelope of $600, and, and I said, oh, thank you so much, this is such a blessing, and, and we did, we had some college fees to pay and other stuff, and, but they said, look, we want to tell you why we're giving you this gift, I was like, yeah, tell us, and I said, we've read this book, and I still remember the name of the book, it was called 30, 60, 100, 100 fold, and it was back in the 90s where the prosperity doctrine really had taken hold in a number of churches in Australia, and certainly was very strong across the US. And they said, we've just read this book. It's an amazing book. And it's it's, it's opened our eyes to the fact that when we give, if we give with the right motives, and if we don't allow doubt to come into our hearts at all, we will receive 30 times what we've given you. If we have more faith, 60 times and possibly even 100 times what we've given you. It just felt a little awkward at that point. (laughs) Did we keep the money? That's what you're thinking. Yes, we did. Seriously, 15 weeks worth. We couldn't pass that up. Plus it would have been rude. But we were left just to that little bit of taste in our mouth. Okay, this is not so much of a gift, but somehow we've become part of a transaction that you've entered into with God. See God, I've given 600. I'm expecting 18,000 back as a minimum. Well... I guess the other thing, and it was around the same era a few years later, and again, just the sadness that comes over, because you go, something that is so beautiful, the actual offering of a gift is such a beautiful thing to do, to God or to the poor. Now, I did this youth event, which will remain nameless, an offering was being taken up amongst the young people, and before the offering came a 10-minute little mini-sermon, and the mini-sermon basically went along the lines of, if you give, then three things God will give to you. Uh, He will give you... Firstly, wealth, so a good job in wealth. Remember talking to young people, give you a good girlfriend or boyfriend who will become a lifelong partner and give you a house and they actually named the suburb, uh, which was very near this church, obviously. But it was one of those aspirational suburbs northwest of here. And again, you just got this sense of, what is this? Is that what our giving's about? It's a transaction with God. Okay, God, I've done my part of the bargain. Now, I'm waiting I'm waiting, and and like there are scriptures that talk about being blessed in our giving, right? I'm not denying that. There's not Malachi talks about bring in the full tithe and see how I won't bless you. But to turn something that is relational into something that is transactional robs the gift of its value. When you give, give with a heart of compassion and love. Some wisdom from the pews. From an early age, my experience of being a follower of Jesus has been very much moulded by his two commandments. The second, love your neighbour as yourself, has always been a very clear marker to me of how one should live and love as Jesus. Another one. At the heart of our giving is the belief that all we have comes from the Lord. Therefore we give because it comes from the outflow of what we've been given. We also give because we choose to be obedient. And you understand that obedience is an expression of love to God, right? Obedience is an expression of love. So firstly, my encouragement is give with a heart of love and compassion. My second one is give with a thankful heart. Uh, the Jewish celebrations, when you read through the Old Testament, are amazing things. It's like, like take a week off, it's like, Christmas and Easter combined, and it is. It's this massive celebration, and they're often expressions of thanksgiving for what God has done in the past. He has brought them out of slavery, or they're expressions of thanks for God's provision. And so there is a celebration that is part of it, but there are also offerings given as part of the celebration. Give with a thankful heart. We give in response to all that God has done for us. And what this means is that our giving is not duty, it's not obligation, it's not a ritual that we do or a legalism, it's actually a joy-filled response. And some people find that a ridiculous thing to try and comprehend that how giving away money can give you joy. Probably 20% of people get that. And you may be the kind of person that goes, yeah, I get that. When I give, I just have this intense sense of joy in actually giving away what God has given me and trusted with me. It becomes this joy-filled response to God's goodness. There's this encouragement that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 8 9. And the context of 2 Corinthians is they're wanting to take up an offering uh, for the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the churches there are struggling with drought and so the church itself is going through hard times. And so Paul is encouraging them to come through with, with a gift from, from the planted churches back to the home church in Jerusalem. He just puts it this way, he says, I'm not commanding you. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. That's a little manipulative, isn't it? But, but then this verse, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He brings it back to what God has done for us. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Give with a thankful heart. Wisdom from the pews. My coming to PBC was instrumental in me being reborn in my faith. And since I believe we should give of our time, treasure and talent to one's church, it then follows that my giving of the three Ts, i would never heard that before, I like that, giving of the three Ts, is very much linked to gratitude and thankfulness for my rebirth and the accompanying desire to support my faith community. This one's from a student. All that I have, family, friends, possessions, have been gifted to me from God. How can I not respond to His love and generosity to me through doing and giving that will hopefully point people back to Him? A third one. Everything we have is from God, it is an act of obedience and gratitude. It is good to be part of the community here, seeing lives changed for all that happens here in the life of the church. For example, the 21 kids saved at the holiday program, helping the community in Kosoro. We really want to be part of everything that God has in mind for PBC. And just a fourth one on thankfulness. It's obedience and thankfulness to God, recognising that everything that we have comes from God, so giving him the first portion of what we receive seems just as appropriate for those of us who know Jesus as it was for God's original people. Give with a heart of love and compassion. Give out of a sense of thankfulness. My third encouragement is to give because you trust. Give because you trust. Giving is an expression of trust. And perhaps the biggest obstacle that people have to giving is that giving to God or giving stuff away is that they have a mindset of well I just can't. I can't do that. I don't have enough. And there are phrases perhaps that you use or phrases that you hear around this. Phrases such as, well, charity begins at home, you know. Not in Scripture. Maybe this one's in Scripture. God helps those who help themselves. Did you find that one in Scripture? But they're well-known phrases. We hear, this is a cultural thing. Like our government says it to us as well. We can't give to the poor around us because we've got debt or because you know we have needs within Australia. Of course we do. We always will. Maybe we say something like or hear things like, well, when I have more, I will give. At what magic mark will you begin to give? (laughs) Perhaps you say, well, my time is more valuable than, than my money, so I'm going to give that instead. You know, you can give both. Or maybe you just feel that at the end of the week, there's nothing left to give. The passage, the second one that Beth read out of Luke 21, I just find incredibly confronting. So you understand my background, right? I have an economics law degree. I'm still a registered tax agent. I still work in a chartered practice. That's my background. So when I read this story, I go, no, woman, you need to go see a retirement specialist. Okay. (laughs) As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live in. You see, giving is a declaration of trust in God. Giving is a declaration of trust in God. And in Scripture, we don't give from what is left over. We give first from what comes in. Now, does that sound reckless? Remember my background. Am I a reckless person by nature? See, it's not reckless. But if we struggle to trust anxiety and fear will fill that void. Do you understand that? Can I say that again? If you struggle to trust, the void that that creates will be filled with fear and anxiety. And can I just say this morning that I do not believe, Scripture does not say that trusting God is reckless. Let's make it very clear, trusting God is not reckless. Trusting God to provide as we choose to worship and obey him is not reckless. Taking God at his word is not reckless. When Kathy and I were married and three months uh, had quit our jobs, lived on that $40 a week, that was not a reckless decision to make. People told us it was stupid, that one of us should have stayed working to support the other. But we had a, both had a call upon our lives. That was not a reckless decision. It was a decision to trust God. In that same time, in those first three months, we took on a sponsor child with Baptist World Aid. We did that deliberately, knowing that we only had $40. Was that reckless? It was not reckless. It was a decision that we intentionally made to trust God, that we would continue to give to the poor. When Parramatta Baptist Church uh, said to Marion, yes, we will bless HOVC this year by trying to raise approximately $27,000 to put 166 solar panels in each of the houses, even though we were $25,000 below budget in our offerings, was that reckless? And some of you are saying, yes, it was. You know we've raised 29, don't you? We're still behind budget, but that's okay. That's okay. It's not reckless to trust God. It's not reckless to give. Wisdom from the pews. When we were born again as adults and read the Bible, I love that phrase. Amen. We came across tithing as a form of worship and obedience. Although in our minds we were struggling to make ends meet and couldn't see how we could afford 10% of our gross income every week, we felt that God wanted us to commit to tithing and we were to put our trust in him. There followed many examples of God providing for us in our needs. Some of the time, it was in retrospect that we saw his hand in our circumstances and we can truthfully state that Jehovah Jireh, our provider, does exist in our lives. Another one. All that I have is from God and belongs to him. By giving, I release ownership of money and place it into God's hands for his purposes. For me, it is a step of obedience and trust in God. We both have a heritage of giving being taught as children to give from our pocket money. Over time, this has matured from a taught practice to one of voluntary sacrifice, following what Jesus taught about giving the first part of our income as opposed to from what is left over. In this way, what we have given, we have never missed. I like that expression. What we have given, we have never missed. And we have always seemed to have enough regardless of the level of income we have had at the time. We have learned from experience that when we honour God with giving, whether it be money time or other he always shows his faithfulness to us through provision give before you trust my fourth encouragement is simply this give with a heart for the kingdom matthew 6 19 to 21 do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy but where thieves and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, it's it's a matter of not only where our heart is, but also where our eyes are set. So often our eyes upon what we have rather than the kingdom and the kingdom to come. Jesus calls us to look to the kingdom and to give with an eye to the kingdom. There's this beautiful passage in Acts chapter 4 and just at the end of Acts chapter 4, there's this picture of the church that share everything. though There was no needy person among them. And so focused were they not on their possessions but on the kingdom and the kingdom to come uh, that the people actually sold their properties. And presumably it was their rental properties or extra properties that they had and they came and they just laid the money at the apostles' feet for it to be used in whatever way to be distributed to the poor, to the proclamation of the gospel. It's just this beautiful picture of what happens when a community sees not their own kingdom, but actually sees the kingdom of God and gives toward that. Give with a heart for the kingdom. We give because we choose to be obedient. Again, this is a story from the Pew. As we are part of the PBC community, we give because we feel a sense of belonging to Para. And the body of Christ. We desire to see the kingdom furthered through the ministries at PBC. We have been transformed by the Spirit, and although we are not in paid ministry, we are able to help support those who are. We desire for people to experience the transformation we have. Giving enables us to feel part of the community and the greater body of Christ as we are tangibly in partnership with the church. And just a second one. The vision of Innocent to establish what became HOVC is truly inspirational to me. He could have done many things, but he answered a heavenly call on his life and the results speak volumes for themselves. Give with a heart of love and compassion. Give out of thankfulness. Give because you trust. And give with an eye to the kingdom of God. And when we give like this, We actually don't need to be compelled to give, we don't need to be coaxed to give, we don't need little gimmicks to make us give or anything like that. We actually just give because we want to. And when we give like this, something happens. It's not a transaction, but something happens in us. Something blesses us and changes us. We don't give to get anything, but we find that in giving, something surprising happens. And that is that we discover a sense of freedom. When we give like this, we actually discover a sense of freedom. We discover freedom from the anxiety and fear of not having enough. We discover a freedom from a drive that says, I must always have more. We discover a freedom from the power that the love of money can have over us. And with freedom comes joy. From the pews... Giving helps us to feel a greater sense of reliance on the Lord and partnership in the Spirit's work. As we give, it also helps us to remember the one who ultimately gives beyond measure, Jesus. Giving teaches me to trust God. I also feel uplifted when I give. It blesses me as I bless others. I used to say that I trusted in God for my security, but I think I was really trusting in my education and experience to earn money to provide security. Consciously choosing that God gets the first portion of what we've received, no matter what, has helped me trust more in Him and less in myself to provide for me and my family. It's also helped me to be much less worried about job security and finding new jobs. Over time, I'm also finding that it's helped me become more generous than I naturally be and cheerful about it. So says a family with two young children and a mortgage. In the earliest days, after becoming a follower of Jesus, I readily accepted that I should give back to God part of what I've received from His hand on my life. However, at first, it was not something I thought deeply about. I just did it because I believed it was the right thing to do. In more recent times, I've come to experience more of an understanding of the joy and blessing, as well as a sense of freedom that comes with giving. I read these and I thought, I'm glad it's not just me. Because it's true. And I just want to finish with this. I asked Trav whether we could finish with an offering. He said that would be in bad taste. No, I agree. Okay, But, <laughs> but I, I do want to say this. All the surveys would say, and I, I would like to believe that Parramatta is not an average church. I would, I would love to believe, and I, I really believe it to be true, that we are more generous than the average church. Um, but in an average, average church, all the surveys would say that probably one in five in this room actually get this, actually resonate with this sermon that only one in five of you would actually go, I do, I just, I get it, I find a joy and a freedom in giving. Not a lot though, is it? One in four of you, again, if the statistics are right, don't give at all. I'm not talking about don't giving to the church. You actually don't give at all. Charity remains at home. You don't give to the poor, you don't give to anything. One in four in our churches. It's amazing, I think. And perhaps you have these narratives in your head, well, I don't have enough. Or I give of my time, I don't need to give of my money. Or when I'm wealthy enough, then I'll... you know, like Maybe these have been the narratives in your head as I've been talking. And you use those narratives to just push back on me a little. And perhaps right now you're feeling really ticked off at me. (laughs) Because you're feeling the pressure. And I'm trying not to speak with any pressure at all. I haven't told you once to give to a church. I don't care where you give to. But one of four of you will be feeling distinctly defensive. And perhaps afterwards you'll want to come and tell me why you don't give. You can do that if you want. But around half of you give um, because you feel it's the right thing to do. It may be out of duty, it may be out of a very practical, well, I want to hear a sermon, I want my kids to have youth ministry, so I, I need to give. And you give what you feel is an appropriate percentage for your stage in life or whatever it is. But I guess I want to say that wherever you're at, I would just love for you to discover the freedom and the joy that actually comes with giving from the heart of actually reclaiming a practice that has been part of the experience of God's people from the very beginning. Not out of a sense of we need it, not in the sense that God needs it, but out of a sense of the freedom and the joy that it can bring. I just want to pray for us. So would you stand as we do that? (laughs) Father, we know that you have given us freedom and joy. You've given us freedom from our sin, but it's more than just forgiveness of the sins of the past. Lord, there is a freedom in life, a freedom that you desire for us to experience, life in you, life in all its fullness, a life that is not found in holding on, of making excuses, of clutching to what this world offers. But there is a freedom and joy that actually comes from giving ourselves to you. And Lord, in this one aspect of that, this expression of an offering, this expression of our giving, Lord, I just want to pray for us that you would allow your word and allow the words of fellow brothers and sisters to speak deeply and richly into our lives this morning. For some, may it be an encouragement to continue to find that freedom and that joy as they give. For others, may it be a, a rethinking of the reasons why and the ways in which they give. And Father, yeah, maybe even just that, that work that the Spirit does when he confronts just some of those false narratives that we build up in our lives about why we will do and why we won't do certain things that are contrary to what you ask of us. Yeah. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for the freedom and joy that is ours. May we step into it and live the life that you've called us to live for your glory. Amen.